And if we just think about the way humans have learned over millennia, right? It's about right. connecting close in relationship with people, um, not necessarily, let's figure out all the things you can't do and right. don't know and try to shove that into You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And you just heard from Andrew Frischman, co-executive director of Big Picture Learning. Our team was lucky enough to connect with him in the Voices Hub at this year's iNACL Symposium in San Antonio. The Voices Hub at iNACL was a way for our team to talk with some super interesting people who attended the conference and hear their ideas as they learned from and with others at the conference. Getting Smart CEO Tom Vanderark had a chance to interview Andrew about innovations in learning, and specifically, they talked about internships and work-based experiences and what it means to be an organization focused on one student at a time. And Bonnie, you used to be a teacher at Big Picture Learning in the Seattle area. So when we talk about this one student at a time approach, tell us more about that from your experience as a teacher. Well, it was the best work and also really hard work. Um, I started at the school when the school was in its second year in 2006. I was hired as a generalist teacher, and I worked at the school for eight years supporting students in the development of real-world projects out in the community. That's amazing. And mentorship was a huge part of this, right? I mean, um, within each of the projects, the students had kind of community mentors, That's right. And what's really great about it is that um, even starting in the ninth grade, we had students out at internships out in the community two days a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. So when you don't have a typical bell schedule and you do have a little bit more or even a lot more freedom and flexibility with your schedule and your structure of how you set up school, it's really about flipping that and thinking of um, getting students out, out in the community, out in the real world, and flipping the way you think of what the school design and the school model really should be. Um, so students, like I, like I mentioned, as early as ninth grade, were out and doing really cool internships at veterinary hospitals, um, at schools, at Starbucks corporate headquarters, at architecture firms. Um, we even had a student who interned with a ghost hunter. And once these internships were wrapped, what did they do? What was sort of the culminating project? What one student at a time really does mean is that, um, you know, each student is going to have a different um, project depending on what they choose to do with their mentors. Um, so, you know, the focus is on internships, yes, but it's also interest-based. And I think the key, what it sounds like, is not only interest-based, but challenging work that's really personalized for these kids. And this gets to what Tom and Andrew really are talking about in this conversation. Tom and Andrew do a deep dive into what it means to be doing high-quality projects, but then also how to scale those experiences to more students. So Tom even directly asked Andrew the question about scale and how to encourage more real-world and interest-based learning for all students. For more on high-quality project-based learning, check out our It's a Project-Based World series on gettingsmart.com or find us on Twitter, hashtag PBL and hashtag project-based. And now, here's Andrew and Tom. This is Andrew Frischman, the co-executive director of Big Picture Learning. Andrew, when did you start with Big Picture? I began as an advisor in the fall of 2002 at the Met School in Providence, Rhode Island back when it was the uh, only big picture school in the world. Uh, but there are just a whole bunch of others getting started around that. Did you ever visit the school that was in the basement of the Rhode Island Department of Education? Yeah, that was. Uh, they had some rooms in a variety of places in that downtown office building. Peter McWalters, the commissioner of education, uh, was was kind enough to, to bless us with a few rooms there. Um, actually, when I, I, I was... 
I first heard about the Met through a student presentation to a kid who had been really disengaged and just had some amazing internship experiences. I remember still his name was Andy, you know, resonated with me, mm-hmm. at the Haffenreffer Museum of Anthropology. Um, and I was just blown away. And I said, i got to be a part of that. I went down to the, the Shepherd Building in downtown Providence. Uh, it seemed uh, auspicious that it was right next to the commissioner's office. Right. Um, and I got a load of it. I said, this is... This is this is what I got to be a part of. I, I I've never seen kids connected so and engaged like that. It was my first day at the uh, at the Met. I, so Tony Wagner introduces me to Deanna Lamb, who's yeah, running sure. Providence. Yep. And we we drive to Coventry and we met John Deasy. Wow. Who was a brand, yeah. brand new superintendent doing yep. really cool stuff. And then he said, "This is going to blow your mind. We're going to the commissioner's office, and there's a new school." And that's where I met uh, Doc Litke. Yes, that's right. And, and, that's and Elliot Washer. And yeah. Elliot Washer. And that's right. where I was introduced to one student at a time. That's right. That's right. And we still, we still think about that. You know, you, you start with those individual students um, and you help them pursue their interests and the things they're passionate. Not necessarily just what they love, the things that are frustrating them about the world. And you help them think about how they're you know, going to be able to pursue the things they love and make really significant let's, change. Let's stop and just acknowledge that this was and and largely remains the most radical conception of secondary education on the planet instead of starting with courses and credits and and thinking about kids as an afterthought you really address every young person as an individual and you dig sometimes and find something they're interested in and and then construct the work yeah. experience around that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's radical only in the sense of what is considered conventional. Right. Right. But if we, if, I mean, if, it if, makes if, radical comments. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If, if a kid is struggling in school, where, where do you start? You, you start with a kid. Right. You start with, and yeah. you know, I think it's about what is the potential that every young person has and how can we grow that? Right. right. You know, if we're going to go real old school, the, the Latin root of educare is to draw out of, right. Yeah. To bring into, like right. not, not to fill up with empty. And so, you know, I think that's what we've always thought about. Um, and, if, and if we just think about the way humans have learned over millennia, right, it's about right. connecting close in relationship with people, um, not necessarily, let's figure out all the things you can't do and right. don't know and try to shove that into you, right? That's just, yeah. So I visited um, 15 years ago uh, and, and then for years thereafter, um, kids while they were on their work experiences. Mm-hmm. And those, those end up being nothing short of life-changing, right? They, they, you see young people beginning yeah. to gain a sense of who they are, of their own voice, of what they're not interested in, which is often as important as what they are Indeed. interested in. Um, any stories come to mind on Sure. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one. Since you just mentioned, you know, students who have not had that connection. Yeah. Uh, I, I worked with a, a young woman who um, came in and said, right from the, the very first day, I uh, said, you know, I know that I want to be a veterinarian. I've known this since I was four years old. I watch the Animal Planet every day. I spend all this my time with the pets that I have. I go to PetSmart all the time. Uh, we managed to help her line up a, a day to shadow um, one of the, the top veterinarians uh, there in Sacramento. Um, and I got a call about uh, an hour and a half later that they had called 911 and an ambulance was on the way because um, just the first patient was a cat and as they prepared to remove a cyst from the cat and some blood appeared, that girl hit hit the ground pretty hard Uh, and she came back and said, you know, I 
I think I was, with, I was with the wrong kind of vet. I want to be with a vet that's with healthy animals. And we, we had a conversation about, you know, like, but, but I think about that young woman, clearly a talented, motivated, driven person. And had she gone through four years of high school, gone right. off to college, gone right. off to vet, just at what point would she have figured out, like, oh, this is not the right match for me? Right. Um, so you know, great to know it. Yeah. And, I mean, on the flip side, I think the, the important thing that I would say, is, as, as Steve Jobs has often said, is the dots line up in the rearview mirror. You know, um, one of my students in ninth grade who had a real passion and interest in photography and music, um, and not so much on the reading and writing and social science and complex mathematical thought, uh, he pursued an internship with a photographer uh, at Brown University. And so whenever there were guest speakers coming, his job was to work with the photographer and entertain the various guest speakers. Um, and that got him interested. He got to meet Jesse Jackson Jr., a number of other luminaries who were coming through. And, and particularly meeting Jesse Jackson Jr. got him interested in politics. Um, and through that, he then connected to Senator Lincoln Chafee. And he interned with Senator Lincoln Chafee in Senator Lincoln Chafee's office, where he was doing constituent response related to environmental issues. Well, that got him really interested in environmental issues and packaging and, 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 and you know, and, and questions of environmental uh, impact. And so he got an internship with an environmental packaging firm. So if you're going to buy uh, an iPad and you buy it in the U.S. versus you buy it in Europe versus you buy it in Korea, well, it has to come in a different set of packaging. Um, and so he got very interested through that in international trade. And then his senior year, he got an internship with an international nonprofit and helped coordinate a group of his classmates to go visit Nicaragua and learn about the differences in the U.S. and Nicaraguan education system. Now, you can't necessarily pre-engineer that, right. but each of those experiences were amazing for that young man. He graduated high school 10 years ago. Since then, he's done little things like spend a year at Oxford, intern with Michelle Obama, work on Joe Biden's advance team, work for StoryCorps, uh, work for one of the top advertising companies in New York, and now is a consultant to a really innovative and disruptive um, nonprofit seeking to transform the health, health system in the United States. Now, right, so I think when we think about the complexity of the, of the work world and the careers that young people are entering into, you've got to get them out there early yeah. and, and, and get, let them try out all these different things. I've, I've been studying um, emerging technology and I've come to the conclusion the best thing that we can do for young people in high school is introduce them to novelty and complexity. New stuff and complicated yes. systems. Agreed. And Agreed. I think work-based learning is one of the best ways we can do that. Yeah, I, I concur tremendously. And I think that the, the rate of change and innovation is happening so quickly and exponentially more quickly. Um, and uh, often the students are out there on that front cutting edge and able to bring it back to expose each other right. to things. Um, you know, I, we, we had a, a student um, presenting with us about the new internship uh, platform uh, that we're developing. Um, she's been interning at Salesforce. Um, and she is working in a field that when I was in high school, the internet didn't exist, right? So, you know, I, I have a four-year-old myself and a seven-year-old. I can only imagine that 15 years from now, they may be working in careers that don't that don't currently exist, right? right. So, so I think that you know, we're not going to be able to reverse engineer an education system that adequately predicts 
what those careers will be. The only way to do it is to have kids as they're in that secondary experience getting out into that world of work. Right. And then this doesn't supplant the need for educators. It makes them far more important right. because the question of sense making and what the research is and what they're digging down and what are the skills and what are the common understandings and competencies we want them to develop, it makes it all the more important. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, you might also enjoy two other Getting Smart podcasts, which you can find at gettingsmart.com or on our iTunes channel. Just search for Getting Smart and subscribe today. Andrew Frischman is featured on our Parenting for Powerful Learning podcast from last season. And the second podcast we recommend is Project-Based Learning Connects Real World with Deep Impact. Head on over to gs.com or iTunes and listen. We also recently did a Getting Smart podcast on another amazing project-based school that's worth taking a listen to, and that's the Bulldog Tech episode. Also, make sure you follow along for the latest in innovations in project-based learning at hashtag PBL and by following at Big Pick Learning and at Getting Underscore Smart. And now let's head back to the interview where Tom and Andrew continue their conversation about student-centered experiences and workplace learning. So let's come back to work-based learning, but let's drill down on this. What is, if, if you start with a kid and then uh, a work-based experience, then what, what's the rest of a, a student day, a student week look like at a big picture school? Absolutely. Well, so the, the I think, I think the, the best way to, to think a little bit about it is, and, and these will be terms that are familiar to you, no doubt, you know, the, the starting point is actually about relationship building. Um, so many students in more conventional schools don't have anyone who knows them. Um, so the idea of creating one adult educator who connects closely with a group of students, we call it an advisor, but it might be called other things in other schools. Um, so having that student spend time with one advisor over the course of the week um, for some periods of time, both in a small group setting so that that student and the other students are learning from each other and with each other um, and, get, and connecting with that advisor. Um, that allows you to get to relevance, right? It's through the relationship with that adult that the adult gets to know the student well enough to say, well, what are you interested in? Where are you headed? What are the things you're looking at exploring? Um, and that's what allows you to connect those students to those internships, but not just internships, to projects that might be going on in the community, to service learning opportunities. Um, and it's through that that you get to deep rigor, right? And really work that is challenging for the student. Um, so those are sort of the through line that are running through. But over the course of a week, students would spend time in advisory, they'd spend time working in projects. They might have specific um, workshops around particular skills. So we can imagine that a set of students who are interning at a whole array of different internships, everything from early childhood to business to architecture to um, uh, a theater, right? All of them might have need to use Excel really effectively. So we can imagine that students would have a workshop on how to use Excel uh, really effectively. Um, depending on where big picture schools are situated, uh, the overwhelming majority of our schools are public in-district schools, and they're, they're certainly beholden to the um, to the district and state level policies around curriculum frameworks. Um, and so we use a whole variety of in-person and project-based and blended online uh, curriculum delivery <coughs> systems to make sure that students are meeting the, the requirements for graduation in their local context. You were you were doing blended and and personalized and competency based uh, fifteen years ago before we 
knew what to call those things. You know, it's a, the question of what to call these things. I think it, it yeah. keeps on circling around. Um, I've been, I've been, I was really appreciative. Uh, I know we're, we're talking here today at the Inacol uh, conference, and I was uh, really um, appreciative of a piece written by Natalie. Um, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Abel or Abel uh, for Inacol, where mm -hmm. she she wrote about meaning matters mm -hmm. um, and drew a really, I think, elegant Venn diagram describing personalized learning, competency-based learning, and blended learning that I think shows them not as discrete things. A, right. a ton of overlap in that Venn diagram, um, but I, you know, I, I do feel like there there are clear and distinct meanings. I think the title's meaning mm -hmm. matters, and and yeah. I, I certainly appreciate those those uh, distinctions. I guess I I find it encouraging that in America we we spent twenty years preoccupied with what does a kid know, hmm. and we're moving, particularly at this conference, to what a kid can do. Yes, yes, and and now the emerging wave is who is that young person becoming? Right. 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 The, it, yep. it, it's the, the dispositions, it's the, the character strengths that we, we now, I think, more fully appreciate are, are really going to shape uh, that young person's uh, life much more than their academic success. I, I, or certainly at least as much. I, right. I agree. And, and the, you know, the question of what are the outcomes that we care about? You know, the, the outcome is really where is a young person five to ten years after they got out of a secondary school experience? And, right. and in what ways did the experiences they had influence their trajectory um, going out? And so, you know, a tenth grade English or math score is not an outcome. It's, it's, it's a snapshot momentary measure, and I'm not saying we should eliminate those. It's an right. important moment in time. Um, but they're, they're, if we think about what are the really fundamental, formative, and transformative learning experiences... You know, particularly, I think it's a question of equity, right? If we, if we know that 60 or 70% of kids or young people secure their first job through either their family or a family friend or a direct right. connection, a network. then what right. that means is that young people do not, are not born into you know, the same level of social capital. Right. And so how can we create systems where students get to pursue and explore career opportunities they might not other have otherwise have dreamed right. of? So let's talk about how to do that at scale. Mm. You, you guys have, your core competency is really one student at a time, particularly work-based learning, and your school network does that remarkably well, but how, how is big picture thinking about making this available to 50 million uh, American students? Absolutely. Well, we, as, as a mission-driven nonprofit, our ultimate goal is to significantly influence and transform the education system. So I'm glad that you uh, highlighted that because although we're known for launching schools, each of those schools are really proof points to show that they work in a whole variety and array of um, uh, policy frameworks and contexts. Um, so we are in over 22 uh, states around the, the U.S. And, and multiple countries. Um, but I think ultimately each of those schools as proof points and then as uh, sort of a hub for innovation and our, we use our network as a, a real opportunity to, to test ideas. Um, what we're really interested in is shifting the, the larger uh, system. So one way of doing that is, I mean, we've, we've been hearing particularly uh, a rising volume of voices in the last few years around students pursuing their interests through work-based learning placements, whether you call them internships or apprenticeships or work-based learning, et cetera. Um, and so we've been working to develop uh, technologies that really in some ways aren't new to us. They're things that we've been doing for the last 20 years in our schools, but they've been kind of hacked together. We've used 
you know, Google App Suite and combined with Formula and you know, hacked together with this other app in order to make it possible for us to run, let's say, a school with 100 or 300 or 900 internships. Um, once you're looking to get to another level of scale, you need something else that basically runs your back-end administrative side and tracks where are all the kids going? How do we keep track of 5,000 relationships with different organizations and businesses? Um, We've chosen to build on a Salesforce platform. Uh, we call it Emblaze. Uh, and Emblaze is a, a system level uh, platform for the implementation of internships across many sites at a, a district or state or system level. You do a really good job of preparing both the student and the, the workplace supervisor mm-hmm. for those experiences. Say a word about getting ready for a good work basic learning experience? I think on the first on the student side, what we found is vitally important is to not just assign a student to an internship. Uh, the, if, the, if you do that, what they basically learn is, if I go to the right school, someone will assign me and you know, give me right. an internship. What we want them to learn are the skills that go along with advocating for themselves, uh, showing agency, being empowered, uh, having their voice and choice, being able to pursue that, and then take a bunch of actions that result in uh, going out to pursue that. So we work with students on how do you identify what you're interested in? How do you find, let's say it's architecture, how do you find 10 architecture sites in your city? How do you write a beautiful cover letter that's customized to each of them that says, I'd like to come and visit with you for a half hour? Uh, and how do you put together a resume that shows who you are and why you're interested in what your skills are? Um, so we work with students on how to present themselves because at the end of the day, that's what we want them to learn. Five to 10 years from now, they should be able to, you know, figure out what it is they want to pursue and uh, represent themselves in a really professional manner. On the, on the mentor side, uh, we do a lot of pieces on the front end as we're, we're heading in to um, lay out some pretty clear expectations of what the student, what the educator, and what the, we call it a mentor, but a site supervisor at the internship or work-based learning site are, um, just to make sure everyone's entering on the same, the same um, sort of, with the same set of expectations. Can um, parents, educators, students uh, learn more on your website? Absolutely. Uh, we, we'd love to have that. Yep, www.bigpicture.org. Uh, and if you put a backslash in Blaze, you can learn a little bit about our internship management system as well. So, Andrew, uh, your schools do work based learning, I think, better than anybody uh, in this country. And it's worth visiting one of your schools just to see that. Um, but the reason they're so important is that. Work-based learning can be disruptive because a young person is out of school for a big chunk of their upper division experience, and it's helpful to see how you structure a school around that work-based learning and how you support it with an advisory system. So uh, the best way to see all of that in action is to go visit a big picture school. We love welcoming visitors. We have thousands of visitors to our schools all across the country, and I appreciate it. uh, As you're saying, it's, you know, Folks sometimes come to us and say, so, you know, what does it cost to implement a big picture school? And I just want to say it's, it's about reallocating, mm-hmm. you know, the time and resources um, and thinking about it in, in a different way, not a more expensive way. Uh, but, yeah, each of our schools is a slightly different flavor. So even if you've been to visit one of our schools before, um, you know, come and, come and check us out in Nashville or see it happen in Oakland or Camden or Providence, Rhode Island. Um, we love, love having visitors come across and, and see what we're all about. The, the exciting thing is uh, there's a little bit of deja vu with this, this current trend towards micro schools, people opening 100 student schools, that's not old for you guys. Um, Every community should have a big picture school, one, because it's a great option for students, and two, because it gives you a local 
field trip option to see what a group of adults that that share the belief that we need to educate one student at a time. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate uh, the conversation and all of your support. Andrew Frischman from Big Picture Learning. Thanks for being at the Getting Smart Voices Hub at iNACL. Thanks, Tom and Andrew, for the great conversation at the iNACL Symposium Voices Hub. Stay tuned for more about great schools at gettingsmart.com and also on Big Picture Learning's website, www.bigpicture.org. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Megan. And this is Bonnie. Signing off.